Welcome to the See Differently Project with your host, Renee Balcom. Over the next hour, you'll learn what you should expect from your care provider and how to take charge of your care needs. Hear from the experts. Now, here's Renee Balcom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the See Differently Project. I'm very, very excited today about our guest and our subject. Um, we have been a country that's been searching for healthcare reform for decades. And um, it's been a subject we've got, we're entering an election year. It'll be another, another high profile subject this year. And I just thought, let's just cut right to the chase and start talking on the See Differently project, bringing in experts, bringing in guests, and really start talking about what's going on in healthcare in the United States. And certainly uh, the insurance industry and how our, our medical gets paid. Today, I have David Fear Jr. with us. I'm excited to have Dave uh, come in and speak with us. Uh, we are, have recently just met, and Dave is, has been in insurance for over 20 years. He's a very young guy, so he started, I know you can't see him, but he must have started when he was like 11 because he looks like he's 25, so I don't know how he's been doing it for 20 years. Um, but we'll we'll talk some more about that. But he's also the legislative chair for the Sacramento Association of Health Underwriters. And I'm excited to have him here. He's been doing that work for many, many years as well. Um, I would say Dave is probably an expert on the subject of healthcare reform and the, the subject in the state of California, at least on the one payer system. Um, for those of you that are listening outside of California, oftentimes what happens in California will just migrate quickly across the United States. So the one payer system has been on the, on the table for conversation in this state for a while. And um, I just thought it would be great to explore that. One of the other things I wanted to talk about was healthcare in general, as far as who pays the bill and the cost of care. Again, um, we're seeing the average cost for healthcare for a family in premium for a family of four in premiums right now is up just under thirty thousand dollars a year. Um, from some statistics I was looking at just this morning. And and to be honest with you, that's a little daunting. It's it's crazy to think that a family of four can could afford something like that. So, um, and if I'm wrong, Dave, please correct me, but we're gonna go right into our time with uh, Mr. David Fear. Dave, thank you so much for being with us here today. Oh, well, you're welcome. I'm, I'm uh, glad to have the opportunity to talk about this. Good. Hey, I also want to make certain as a disclaimer for everyone out there, this is a very controversial subject, interestingly enough, that we're we're not on the show today. We're not going to propose one side or the other. We want to talk about both sides and the pros and cons of both sides of the subject of a single payer system and uh, just be able to open up the microphone, open up the show. If you have questions or concerns or comments, please feel, you know, we want, we want to hear from you. Please call in if you have experience. I know I was looking at some statistics and we've got a couple of listeners out of Canada. Uh, they do have a one payer system in Canada. So I'd love to hear uh, from Canada how that's working for you. Um, but without further uh, delay, we're going to just jump right in. So Dave, 
as a, just just kind of from a historical perspective, can you tell us about how healthcare got tied to employment? How that's actually come about? Are you do you know how that's happened or? Um, yes. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm a, uh, an expert on the history of all things insurance, but I've I've been doing enough uh, continuing education classes over the years that I have been taught that. Um, you know, the the way we employer based health insurance really kind of started um, during and post uh, World War II. Um, that's kind of when, uh, you know, as we became an, an industry power and, and needed people working in factories and building stuff for the war effort, um, employers started to tie in healthcare to their jobs um, in more of a practical way. Um, you know, rather than having people stay home because they were sick, um, they began administering some health care at job or right next to their jobs. Um, Post-World War II, um, it, that, that connection kind of stayed uh, because while they w- couldn't necessarily, uh, many employers couldn't necessarily pay um, higher wages to attract employees, they could pay for this new thing that was starting to increase, you know, uh, get up there in cost, which is healthcare. You know, at the time in the 1940s and 50s, healthcare was not terribly expensive. Um, and so that's something that employers could provide as a benefit uh, to employees. And, you know, at some point, um, and I don't remember the exact years or decades that it occurred, you know, uh, that expense paying for employees' health care became a, a qualified expense to, or, you know, a deductible expense to employers. Uh, for their taxes. And so really, I, I think it started to really kind of occur in the 1960s is when that became a tax issue and really made it beneficial for employers to provide coverage to employees. Um, but really, it's been in place for how long ago was the 60s? I guess that was seven, 60 years ago. Yeah. You know, uh, so we're looking at 60 plus years of really kind of having that connection where many employees employers throughout the country um, enticed employees by providing this benefit program where they would pay for their health insurance and and other benefits. Okay. Well, I have to say, as a healthcare advocate, I find insurance to be confusing and complex. And if you could talk to us about just some of the vernacular of insurance, like universal health, Medicare, Medicaid, socialize. I, it's just, there's so many, you know, Medicare Advantage. I mean, there's so many different titles now under healthcare, um, including uh, uh, employer-sponsored care, that that it's just very confusing, I think, for most people, um, and frankly, getting more and more confusing every day. So if you could just spend a minute telling us the difference about the terms and what all of that kind of means. Sure. Well, you know, when we get to when we talk about single or one payer or single payer, you know, there's a few terms that people use interchangeably. And I'll talk about those in just a moment and kind of how they're similar and how they're different. Um, But, you know, let's first kind of and I'll explain as we go as well um, that for the most part, there's three different ways that most people get coverage in America. Um, the biggest chunk is still through employer-based care. 
um, you know, private insurance plans where private employers, well, and government employers, um, provide those benefits to their working employees. Um, the next big chunk is uh, through Medicaid, uh, government subsidy or uh, plans through Medicaid. Um, Medicaid is typically for the poor. Um, for those that, that income-wise, they, they can't afford it themselves, and so the government pays for it. In California, um, we've labeled it as Medi-Cal, and um, there is a difference between Medicaid and Medi-Cal, but um, basically they use Medicaid dollars to provide for Medi-Cal in this state. It's just a little more generous than Medicaid in other states. Um, and then the other third big chunk of people in our country are covered under Medicare. Medicare is typically for our seniors and um, disabled folks in, in the country. Um, and it provides a level of care um, for both hospitalization and um, outside of hospital medical care. Um, but there are limits and deductibles and copays and, and kind of an, it's, a, it's a base amount of coverage that most people um, then get additional coverage on. And we can talk about that a little bit later as well. Okay. Did you did you want to get into the what's the difference between universal care and and Medicare for all and and that or what would you like to do? Um, yeah, well, let's come back to that because we're gonna we're gonna definitely circle back to these four. I, I listed employer based care, government subsidized care, Medicare, Medicaid, Medicaid, Medi-Cal, and then Medicare. Those are really kind of the four big buckets. Right. That's how I'm understanding that. OK, I would agree. So so the one payer, the question of the one payer system. It in it, would that eliminate some of those buckets or what is that the proposal for that? How does that look with regard to those the framework of the current system in those buckets? Well, it, it does depend on the proposal itself. Um, and that's why I say, uh, you know, they, the, some of these terms are used interchangeably, but they can mean significantly different things. And so when we talk about one payer, also, or, you know, I would say that word is interchangeable with single payer. Um, it kind of depends on the, the proposition. Um, we have seen many different single payer, one payer propositions in the state of California, uh, really starting in the 1990s on. So we're going on 30 years of that. And most of them um, have mirrored a, a single payer system similar to the Canadian style plan. Um, in, in that particular system, um, the, the providers of healthcare are still private independent folks, but the only people who pay for the medical bills, uh, pay the providers, are, is, is the government. Um, and so that is going to be a little bit different. And so in, in the pro I'll try to keep it specific to the most recent proposals that I've seen in California. And in those cases, um, if we went to a one-payer system, yes, it would um, get rid of basically all the other coverages. Um, employer or private employer-based systems would go away. Medicare would go away. Medicaid and Medi-Cal would go away. Um, and the, the last one, uh, the VA system, that one sometimes is touched and other times is not touched. But I'm going to tell you that in the most recent one, it would be touched. 
So basically, every other system, every system that is currently how you get your care would go away under a one payer system. Okay. Wow. Well, that's a little daunting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that's a big sweep. A big sweep. So yeah. And we can get into what happens when people kind of talk, when they start to hear about what does that entail and how that kind of changes their opinions on it. Okay. And, and who pays, who's the payer for this? I know, I know in Canada, they have a much different tax basis there. It's a little bit higher and that I'm assuming that's to pay, assist in paying for their healthcare. Is that accurate? Oh yeah. Um, the payer is the government, and uh, the government doesn't make money. The, the government gets money from its citizens. And so it would be paid for by citizens through taxes. Okay. All right. So in the state of California, do you have any idea what they're estimating the cost of a one-payer or a, a single-payer system would look like? Just yeah. in California? Um, in California, that number, uh, by most estimates... Um, even the, the, the proponents of it, um, figure it will be about $400 billion a year. Um, and honestly, that might even be on the conservative side. Wow. Okay. Um, I would, I would point out that that $400 billion a year, the, the annual state budget of the state, the largest state in America is $180 billion a year. And you're talking about a, a healthcare, just healthcare system that would be about two and a half times the current budget. Holy moly. Okay. Well, and again, living in California and um, having some firsthand experience at some of the misuse of the funds in the state of California, if you will, uh, it's, it's scary to think, in my, in my opinion, just my opinion, of handing our healthcare over to the state of California, to be honest with you. And, and I've, I'm experienced in working with various systems in California, and we've had, you know, depending on who we're working with, we've had people in the system that have been very helpful and very educated and been able to assist us in helping our clients. However, oftentimes uh, that is not the case. And, you know, we have a big worker shortage in the state at the state level, and, I just can't even imagine this kind of service being handed over to the state of California. I just, for the, for the residents of the state of California, I just can't imagine. Um, so, so how popular is a single payer system? Would you say how, I mean, it, to me, it sounds really, really scary and not that, not that I'm afraid of change. And I think we absolutely need change, but how popular do you think this subject matter is well it depends on who you talk to and and um their knowledge base single payer or um or, or one payer system tends to be uh very popular amongst the younger crowd um and on initial kind of high level here's what single payer is um it, it, it you get the impression that that a lot of people really like it and think it's a great idea um, however, um, you know, my, my association ha has been able to find several surveys that in the last several years asking folks, you know, every time that there's been a proposal about single payer in the system 
or, or for taking over in California. Um, you know, they've done polling and um, most recently, um, 81% of people in California have said that they like their current health care coverage. Wow. Okay? Um, and when all explained kind of a base high level, what's what one payer is about 65% of Californians um, oppose it. And that is actually across all of the different um, categories, um, uh, both uh, geographic areas, political affiliation, gender, age, race. Um, there is a majority in all of those saying they don't like the idea of the government running everything. Furthermore, uh, of that 65%, 54% strongly oppose it. Okay. Um, and then when given more information about what the system would do, how they would pay for it, um, that number actually goes up to about 73% um, oppose the idea of government running all healthcare systems. So, and, and that is in very blue California that you get about 73% once they kind of understand what it means, say, I don't think that's a good idea. Okay. Well, that's kind of a relief for me. I don't know. I don't know about uh, the other part of Californians that may be listening, but there's a little bit of relief in that for me. Um, and again, I, I recognize that we have a need to change our system and do some things differently in our system, but I just feel like this is a big, big sweep. And I'm not sure that in this state that we're ready to take on such a daunting task for sure. Yeah. Um, Dave, we're gonna we're getting ready to uh, cut to a break here. But so everyone that's listening, we have uh, Mr. David Fear Jr. with us today. He's an expert uh, agency partner with Eureka Insurance Solutions of Sacramento. Um, he's also a legislative chair for the Sacramento Association of Health Underwriters and works very, very closely at the state level with regard to health care and health benefits. So he's here today and we're talking about the single payer, one payer system uh, that's been proposed in California and the possibility of that going across the country. Um, we, when we get back, we're going to dive even deeper into the system about, you know, how do we fix what we've got going on and is this potentially a viable solution at a national level? So, uh, come back with us again, the phones are going to open up. If you have questions or comments, please call in and, uh, we look forward to hearing from our listeners. We'll be back. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. The See Differently Project will deliver us out of the echo chamber that we live in and educate and empower our listeners about the business of care. The care industry from cradle to grave encompasses a multitude of service providers. Some of these providers must have licenses and some do not. It depends on the state you reside in. Nonetheless, this multi-trillion dollar industry continues to grow. Money exploited from consumers through this industry in 2022 exceeded $63 billion. 
Our mission at the See Differently Project is to educate and empower our listeners by bringing guests on who are professional experts in their care field, opening the dialogue, informing our listeners, and answering your questions. You will walk away with a new perspective and empowerment over your care needs. The See Differently Project is hosted by Renee Balcom, the nation's leading healthcare advocate, on Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to the See Differently Project. Have a question for Renee or her guest? Join us on the show at 866-472-5787. That's 866-472-5787. Now, back to the show. Hi, welcome back, everyone. We are here with Dave Fear Jr., uh, agency partner with Eureka Insurance Solutions and legislative chair for the Sacramento Association of Health Underwriters in uh, Northern California. Today, we are talking about healthcare and the various healthcare systems. And uh, for those of you that are just coming on board, there, there's really kind of five buckets for healthcare uh, that really takes up the majority of a budget. And the first one is employer-based care, government care, Medicare, Medicaid slash Medi-Cal in the state of California, the Medicare system, and then the VA um, uh, healthcare system. So, so those are kind of five buckets that right now are a big part of the care but you know the big care budget so um, one of the things that we have been talking about is the single-payer system and what that looks like what's been proposed in the state of california but i want everyone to know it's also a system that has been proposed in various states you know oftentimes we don't realize that every state has their own set of legislature and their own rules and healthcare also falls into those rules so um so the single payer or one payer system that's being proposed in California has been proposed in other states. And and Dave, can you elaborate on that for us? Can you tell us about that and where there may be some success and where there may not? And, and why do those look different? Sure. Um, so, you know, in, in, um, in the United States of America, um, you know, each state actually has a, a control over their, a lot of their, their insurances. Um, and so that's why, you know, we have to be licensed in each state. You have to understand the rules. And um, for the most part, medical coverage, ha- uh, while, while federally things do come down to, you know, um, things like Medicaid, VA, some of the um, uh, care for, for children, um, you know, that those are funded with, with federal dollars. 
However, they give it to the states and say, all right, you guys kind of figure it out. And so really there's 50 different solutions of how they, they try to, to care for their um, uh, citizens. And over the years, you know, we've seen different examples of states saying we'd rather basically take over and run everything. Uh, and that is the idea behind a, a single payer system uh, where the, 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 the government, whether it is state um, or in some, you know, we'll, we'll talk about federal, basically becomes the payer of, of health care to the providers. Um, as I mentioned, in California, we've almost every legislative session we've had, some version of single payer has been proposed and every time it, it goes down. Um, Interestingly enough, it did actually get proposed and passed in the state of Vermont, um, you know, the home state of, of Bernie Sanders, who is probably the biggest proponent on the federal level for, you know, a government run system. It, it passed in, in Vermont. I forget exactly when, but roughly seven or eight years ago um, it, it got through. There was a lot of backslapping, you know, as uh, uh, from those people uh, on the left, uh, you know, hey, we did it. And then it got to... Um, the governor signed it, and then they kind of went, now what? How do we pay for it? Yeah. And so, um, because and, and that is, I'll explain, typically the largest hurdle that payer or uh, proponents of single payer have in, in trying to establish this. And, and that's essentially what v Vermont did is they got it. Vermont being one of the smaller states in the country uh, with one of the smaller populations, um, passed this legislation for the government to take over and then said, we can't pay for this. We don't know how to pay for this. And, uh, and it just basically stayed there. So it um, was on the books, but then nothing ever occurred because they couldn't figure out how to finance it. Um, more recently, um, about six years ago, Colorado was the, the, another state that actually put it, uh, the idea of government uh, takeover of the healthcare system uh, to the ballot. Uh, proposition 69 um, and that proposition and again I would I would label um, Colorado is probably a little more purple but uh, leaning blue in a, a lot of their their things um, and that actually went down 80% um, to 20% uh, opposing the idea of the government taking over health care for for the state of Colorado um, so going back to California um, you know, I, I would tell you that in the last, uh, oh shoot, I want to say it was, it was pre-COVID, roughly 2018, was the last time a single-payer system really got um, tailwinds and, and actually passed out of one of the um, legislative bodies. Um, and, and so, you know, that's where we kind of, uh, well, a lot of the information, and I got very involved in this, and... and um, got very versed on the subject of single payer and different health or different financing of, of healthcare systems throughout the world. Um, and, and the biggest problem with it is the cost, you know, they can't figure out how to proponents can't figure out how to get over that. Um, you know, when you're talking about something that in the state of California alone, one of 50, you know, um, about, uh, you know, roughly 38 million residents, which is about the same as, as Canada, um, you're talking about something that is astronomically large, $400 billion a year. Now, if you talk about the United States taking that over and, you know, a, a country of roughly 400 million people, I, I don't, um, that number is so large 
I don't even know what that is. Um, you know, it, it's going to be excesses of $300 trillion, sorry, $300 trillion a year kind of type number, a number that really is almost fake to us, that mm -hmm. it is so large. Um, and so that's kind of the biggest problem that proponents have is how do you pay for this system? Okay. So what occurs to me as you're talking is in some ways, certainly at almost like a federal level, Medicare, we've got, what is it, 10,000 people a day are, are falling into the age of acceptance in Medicare as far as the aging population is concerned. Medicare is probably the closest model that we have to, to a single-payer system. Is that our straight Medicare? Would that be an accurate statement? Yes. Um, and, and that's why the more recent federal proposals have been labeled as Medicare for all. Um, however, the actual legislation that was proposed by uh, Senator Sanders and a few others is not the current system of Medicare. It was more of a true takeover, single payer type system. Medicare is a little bit different. Um, uh, Medicare is a, a base coverage um, that you pay into your entire working careers. You know, um, a, a, from whenever we start working at roughly 18 to whenever we stop working at roughly age 65. You got to start working at 18? <laughs> My family I'm, threw me on the streets at 16. <laughs> I, well, as I'm trying to get my kids to get jobs now, um, yes, it is a little more difficult. Uh, getting as a 16-year-old is a little diff more difficult in the state of California working, but um, roughly that long, you know, is when you've been paying, uh, every time you get that paycheck, money is taken out for your Medicare. And, um, and so that is paid for through that tax. Um, your entire working career, and then and then uh, um, and that again covers you for a base level of coverage for hospitalization, but still has deductibles, copays, and limits. Um, when you turn sixty-five or become eligible for Medicare, um, you then enroll on um, Part B, which covers you for outside of the hospital, but you actually do have to pay for that. Um, that dollar amount that you, that uh, Medicare beneficiaries have to pay for that coverage uh, varies year to year and by budget to budget and by politics. Um, and then that has deductibles, co-pays, and limits. Um, uh, what the government provides does not cover drugs, um, dental, vision, hearing. And so, you know, um, and other single-payer systems around the world understand that. Uh, in Canada, the UK, uh, some of the other true single-payer systems, they the government can't afford to pay for everything, and neither does Medicare. Um, but going back to your to your question of is Medicare a single-payer system, it is because they it is the actual government, uh, CMS, um, uh, who is actually paying the providers um, on an established scale of what they will be paid for each service. Um, and so, you know, when we probably in, get later towards uh, the end of our conversation today, I'll, I'll explain that I actually think that concept of Medicare paying um, is actually one of our so the solutions that I think is going to work best for us. But I would tell you that federally and most recently what you've seen as far as uh, um, proposed legislation 
that is kind of significantly different than how the current system is working for Americans. Okay. All right. Um, and then, and then with regard to Medicare, there, the other products that you mentioned, I, I also want to put a clarifier out there that when we're talking about provider, we're talking about your medical provider. So your doctors and any, anyone that is being reimbursed or paid by the insurance company falls under the, under the title of provider. So, so for the, uh, the ancillary providers like hearing or eye care or some of the other specialties, that's where, uh, Organ, uh, uh, products like Advantage, uh, Medicare Advantage comes in. Is that correct? It can. Okay. Uh, I mean, Medicare Advantage is is a little different way to handle things, but that is one of the appeals of Medicare Advantage is that it does cover other things. Okay. Um, going back to the idea uh, of Medicare and what it is and who has it, um, you know, if you're age 65 or older, typically, and or disabled, you're on Medicare. Um, most Americans who are Medicare eligible um, get some type of additional benefit, um, and they choose to do that themselves. Um, and actually, uh, the last conference I went to in Washington, D.C., the head of the uh, HHS came and spoke to us and told us that there are now more Americans on Medicare Advantage than there on, are on original Medicare. Huh. That actually just changed. And what Medicare Advantage is, um, is it's private coverage that is equal to or better, and it's always better, than what original Medicare offers. Um, and when somebody signs up for Medicare Advantage, what they're doing is they're basically saying, all right, I'm going to assign my, my A and my B benefit that I've paid for all my life and the, the B benefit that I'm paying an additional premium for now to a private insurance company, and they will give me all my care instead of the original Medicare paying for all my costs. Um, and, and in doing so, they are typically enticed to do it by uh, either low premiums and or other stuff like dental, vision, hearing, um, you know, there in some of your more competitive markets for Medicare Advantage, you have it where, uh, you know, they, they have $0 premium plans. And, you know, if there's multiple $0 premium plans, how do you get people to sign up for yours? And that's where they start throwing in these other things. Uh, and more recently, there's even some that, that give you a $25 a month uh, Uber Eats gift card if you wow. sign up for their Advantage. So, you know, there's a lot of other stuff that they can then throw in if you go Advantage because uh, typically the private insurance companies that offer Advantage are able to um, take the money allocated for Medicare and actually be more efficient with it. Okay. But, but just so that... And, and listen, you've, you're opening so many eyes right now. I just want you to know, I can just imagine that our listeners are going, wow, I didn't understand when you were talking about uh, transferring, you know, the title to your benefits over to a private company. So, so what that also does, just so that the public is aware, is it also gives them the authority to determine whether or not a procedure that may be covered by straight Medicare, and I use straight Medicare meaning government, government uh, uh, managed Medicare versus Advantage or private managed Medicare. 
it gives the private insurance company the authorization to deny or or uh, agree to a procedure. Correct. Yes. I mean, they okay. do have to cut. They they do have to cover the same stuff that Medicare does. Okay, they yet. do. So there's no question that if it, Medicare will cover it, then they Advantage should cover it. Yes. Okay. But the way they're able to control their costs better than the federal government is by putting limits on 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 certain things by having networks and only certain doctors and physicians or hospitals uh, accepting it at, at at a certain level. Okay. Okay. Wow. So. So I know this is this is going to be a long uh, uh, this is a hard question, Dave. So what do you think is going to fix this system? What do you and and we're gonna we're gonna cut for a break in a few minutes, but um, it's something to think about for sure. Um, you know what what's the optimum situation for our listeners if they're exploring their healthcare? I know we just did. A rollover. So, um, and actually, maybe we can talk about that for a second. Let's talk about the. Um, there's a point of entry, a scheduled. What is it called? I, it escapes me. Um, where the re-enrollment period, okay. and and I know that window closes, but I know there's also kind of a special window that remains open in the first part of the year. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, specifically the Medicare. There's annual enrollment period. Uh, that kind of occurs uh, basically October 15th to December 7th for a January 1st eff- effective date. And that's where uh, your your prescription drug plans and um, your Medicare Advantage, you can make those changes once a year. And then there is a special enrollment period after that uh, where people who got on Medicare Advantage figured out that their doctor isn't in it or there's something they don't like, that they can actually exit it and either make a one-time change or go back to original Medicare. Okay, uh, well, that's good to know. Yeah, so you've seen a lot of flexibility over the years of trying to make this a little more user-friendly and give uh, 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 consumers more choices of how to better cover themselves. Okay. Yeah, that's good to know. So for our listeners, if you're if you're feeling like you may not be completely comfortable with the choice you made a few months ago, you can definitely have, there's a window of opportunity to, to change that. So that's good to know. Well, listen, we're going to cut to a break here. Again, we want to hear from our listeners. So our number is 866-472-5787. If you have questions or comments, please call in. We're here with David Fear Jr. Uh, He's a, a licensed insurance specialist here in the state of California. But more importantly, or not more importantly, but importantly, also legislative chair for the Sacramento Association of Health Underwriters and our expert talking to us today about insurance and the single payer system and kind of where we're going with insurance or maybe going with insurance in the United States. So we'll be back. America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, 
self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to the See Differently Project. Have a question for Renee or her guest? Join us on the show at 866-472-5787. That's 866-472-5787. Now, back to the show. So we have a lot to cover in a short period of time, but I was just telling my guest, David Fear that he, we've got about three more hours in this discussion. So he's definitely, hopefully I can convince him to come back and spend more time with us on the subject. So we are here with David Fear. Uh, we're talking about the single payer system. And Dave, so tell us, tell us why fixing the system is so hard. Well, I mean, this is, again, we've been having this conversation for decades now. What's up with that? Why is it so hard? How did Canada do it? Well, the, 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 the countries around the world that, that have a, a single-payer system that is proposed quite often in this country um, are, are typically the other two English-speaking uh, countries, which is, uh, you know, Canada and the United Kingdom. And, you know, they were able to do it is because right post World War II, that's when they introduced it. Um, and it has been there and they've been working on it and fighting over it um, since World War II. And um, that's kind of, in my opinion, I think the only way that you could have established it. Um, and, and why is it so difficult um, is because there are so many moving pieces. Um, you know, every year in the state of California, there are uh, over 2,500 bills proposed every year. Wow. Of that, about 10% touch on, on health care in some way, whether it's Medi-Cal, whether it's financing for indigent or, you know, uh, uh, children, um, seniors, uh, benefit changes, mandates. And, and that occurs every single year. And so um, it's complicated to fix because it got there are so many different rules and mandates and uh, payers of who pays for what and how to do it um, that it is terrible. It, 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 there's 
you know, I, I remember going to, um, lobbying to Washington, D.C. And, and talking with folks and saying, how do we fix this? And the problem is there's not a silver bullet. There's not one single thing that is causing it all to be broken. It's a it's a hundreds and thousands of different things that are causing it. Um, more recently, you know, you had a venture group um, uh, by uh, Amazon. I want to say uh, Jeff Bezos and Mark Cuban. I don't remember if they were all together or they're kind of similar of, all right, you know, these are, are three different innovative type entities that uh, we're going to take a shot at fixing healthcare, um, specifically kind of getting into the prescription drug aspects, but then also doing kind of financed financing care uh, for their own employees. Um, and after about two years, they both, they all kind of raised their hands, backed away and said, okay, never mind. Maybe we can't do this. And the reason why is because it is so heavily regulated and there's so many rules you have to follow. Um, and so it didn't get this way overnight. You know, I would tell you that that our modern healthcare system really kind of started in the '60s with the implementation of Medicare, um, and and you know, for 60 years has been being told what you have to cover, how you have to cover it, what has to be disclosed, and so unraveling it and, and fixing it is really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I will tell you that. That is one of the proponents of single payers, uh, they say, is that the system is so broke, we have to just blow it up and start over. Um, and while in theory, that sounds really good when you're talking to your friends uh, at the bar, uh, in reality, this is the largest sector of, of our economy. You don't just blow it up and start over and say, government, you run everything. Um, there are literally trillions of dollars and millions of people who make their living doing doing this um and so every time you get healthcare reform where you try to 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 fix an aspect of it you find proponents that say well look we're not the major problem in this here's what we do here's our value and why are you going to put the clamps on us or or, or regulate us in this way and stop us from helping people and and so every time you get a new congress or you get people elected they say they'll fix it and then once they get dip their toe in the water and they figure out what it is they under they find out it is terribly complicated and you know everybody's lawyered up and and they have representatives and you know what they i i mean i could cite dozens and dozens of different examples of court cases where people are you know having the the judicial system step in and regulate or, you know, determine what can be changed and, and whether the government can tell them to do it or not. It's yeah. terribly complicated. Yeah, and that, that makes it even scarier for me that now now we want to bring the judicial system into some aspects of this and, and have them uh, tell us what kind of care an individual should have. And again, it's just way out of their scope for sure. As a healthcare advocate, we've started seeing a little bit of that in the behavioral health sector for sure. Um, I wanted to comment when you were talking earlier about Vermont. I actually had a client um, uh, from Vermont. She was a professor, interestingly enough, in the healthcare sector uh, for the University of Vermont, and she retired and she moved to California only to discover that her health insurance 
only is good in Vermont. So her as she retired. So that was kind of a, a shocking uh, realization for her. And we've had to go through several steps to get uh, some things transferred and get her some supports in the state of California. But yeah, it was pretty interesting. And, and I'm assuming some of that uh, some of those uh, boundaries or stipulations in her insurance was dependent on state regulations for uh, state. I mean, she was a retired from the University of Vermont, so she probably had state-sponsored uh, insurance. So, but anyway, yeah. interesting. And, and you know, um, that, that's an interesting point because one of the, you know, when you go back and and talk to Congress people, um, people on the right. Uh, more Republicans would offer that as the solution is if we would just allow people to buy insurance up across state lines, that would fix everything. And that would be an example of times where I would then have to sit down with the Republican and say, look, that ain't going to fix anything. And here's why, you know, um, the, the, the prices across state boundaries don't aren't necessarily better over there than over here. And keep in mind, everybody has their own rules and, and what they cover. Um, and so that was one of those things that I remember for a while, if, if, if you had a Republican congressperson who, who thought they were up on it, they would tell us, oh, yeah, if we would just allow you to cross state lines. Um, it would fix everything. And, and actually, under Trump, um, that was kind of allowed uh, with some of the association plans. And you'll find that it really didn't make much of a difference at all. Okay. You know? um, yeah. Well, and especially, you know, more and more retirees are becoming nomadic, right? And they, they have multiple homes and they're living in different states and maybe they retired in California and because of the cost of living in California, they moved to Iowa, right? So so there's a lot of that going on and I'm sure it just elevates yet another layer of complexity in the entire system for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and those folks who are on original Medicare, that actually is one of the pros about that system is when you're on original Medicare, you can go anywhere you want in this country. Okay. Um, you know, if, if I could just take a moment about Medicare and how that has changed over the years and, and ultimately why I think it's probably a solution we should look at um, is, is pre-2004 when the Medicare Modernization Act was passed, only about 50% of providers in this country would accept Medicare payments because mm -hmm. those payments were basically set by the government at an artificial level and many providers, whether it was hospitals or doctors or, or you know, clinics said, we can't, we can't keep our doors open. And part of the, that, that act in 2004 changed the way that Medicare providers would be paid to, to be paid more specifically on what their actual costs are. Because the cost to run a bed in Steamy Valley, uh, you know, in the Bay Area is significantly different than it is in Des Moines, Iowa. Mm -hmm. And so Medicare changed the way they would pay so that those dollars uh, that Medicare would pay those different uh, facilities would be different depending on their actual costs. And when that changed, um, uh, you went from about 50% of providers in this country accepting Medicare to 97% is where wow. we stand right now. And so that is actually one of the good things that I will tell clients who are on original Medicare that you can go anywhere you want. 97% of doctors or providers in this country will accept you. Um, and so it's, it's really a, a kind of a, a, a good example of where I think we could go and, okay. and what that and what is. And what about people that travel out of the country? Does original Medicare also cover 
cover them if, let's say, you know, you're in Canada or you're in Mexico and you have an accident? Does Medicare, original Medicare, cover your expenses there? Uh, a limited amount. And okay. I would point out that in Canada, there would be no cost share, so you'd be fine. But in Mexico or, or somewhere else where you would have to pay, yes, there is a limited amount that they will pay. Okay. Okay. So, so what I'm, I feel like I'm kind of hearing from you is you like original Medicare and that's, that's something that you would propose. Tell me, tell me. Sure. So when people, you know, I, I typically go into different offices and, and tell them why I think single payer isn't a good solution. And so the answer is, well, then what, how do you fix this? What do you propose? And I do think the idea of Medicare, um, reference-based pricing is is one of the solutions that can help. The number one problem, in my opinion, in our, with our healthcare system is the cost. If I could wave a wand and magically turn all costs related to healthcare to a fourth of what they are now, I think most of our problems would go away. Mm -hmm. um, what happens with Medicare is because the government, through Medicare, is the single largest payer of medical expenses in this country, they have the ability to set that price. Now, like I said, in 2004, they changed it so it was a more fair price. Um, and that turned into making it so that many providers in this country would accept it. But the, the government basically says, all right, your cost to run an MRI in, uh, um, in Pahrump, Nevada is X amount of dollars. We will pay you that plus a small profit. Um, and uh, then allow you to charge that, that consumer up to 20% of the number we paid you. And most providers say, okay, so basically I know that if I take Medicare as a payment in full or as payment, that I'm going to make a 3% profit and I can bill, if I choose to, that, uh, that consumer up to 20% more and make a 23% profit. That is a number that they, can, they find fair, and that's why so many people do it. So to my point, what happens in the system call or uh, an idea called reference-based pricing is when you use the Medicare number as your base point. Um, and even if private employers are starting to do this, the larger ones that are self-insuring, they're saying rather than negotiate directly with hospital of, of Oklahoma or, or whoever it is, why don't, you know, and we'll take this high number and we'll negotiate it down. Um, why don't we start with re uh, with Medicare and what they pay and then pay, pay you based on that? Um, and most of those those employers that are using Medicare reference-based pricing are typically paying upwards of it, you know, 150, 200% of what Medicare pays. And um, most providers are looking at that number and saying, yeah, we can, we can deal with it. We can live with that. So one of the solutions I have or would propose is that we start using both private um, employers and, and systems start using Medicare and what they pay as the, the base of what should be paid for medical services. Yeah. So Dave, this is such a fascinating subject and we have so much more to talk about. We haven't even mentioned the Affordable Care Act and where, how that plays in and where we are with that. You brought up self-insured care, also something that I've had the opportunity as a healthcare advocate to do some work on. And there's a lot of questions that we have about self-insured care, uh, definitely uh, the benefits and the downside of that. So there's a lot 
a lot more ground for us to cover here. I hope you definitely will come back on the show with us. Uh, We're down to the last few seconds here today. I want to thank all of our listeners. Again, we're here with David Fear Jr. Uh, His company is the Eureka Insurance Solutions. You can find him at eurekains.com. And um, we appreciate you so much. I'm Renee Balcom. My company is Renee & Company. We are a healthcare advocacy group. And I am passionate about all things care and healthcare. And the See Differently project is really about opening up your eyes, opening up your conversation and your mind to both sides of a subject of care. So we appreciate our listeners. Uh, Dave, thank you again for being on board with us today. We've, We've really enjoyed this conversation and there's a lot more to talk about. So everyone have a great week and uh, we'll see you next week. Same time. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the See Differently Project with your host, Renee Balcom. We hope we have given you some insight into the business of care, and we hope you are empowered in your own care needs. Until we talk again, have a wonderful week.